0: Welcome to Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we are joined by Angel Smith, who's an activist, student, and artist who I met during a solidarity rally on Juneteenth in Chesterton, Indiana. Uh, Welcome to the program. Good to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Kind of give us a sense of where you grew up, how you found your way to Chesterton, and then we'll kind of get into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Chicago and moved to Ogden Dunes when I was four. My little brother was born. Um, So I was in the Portage School District um, in elementary and then went to Discovery Charter School at middle school, which I was the first like, um, I believe, seventh and eighth grade class to like graduate. And so that was my first time really stepping into the Dunman area. And then from there went to the high school, which was my first time ever being in public school. So that was like a really big shift for me in understanding, sort of where I was um, on my personal level, on my academic level. I at the time hadn't been doing any sort of writing other than like journaling in my room uh, <laughs> for free time and pastime. And when I got to high school, I, I was interested in some of the writing activities. I was um, I was interested in going into IB, and so. I was like, quote, unquote, nerd, um, one could call me, but I was pretty shy and like reserved to myself. But um, when I was a sophomore, um, one of my closest friends passed to brain cancer. And that was really a time where I was faced with head on with my emotions and, and my subconscious and really thinking about what it means to be alive and the responsibilities that entail. So dealing with that loss, I turned to writing um, heavily. And I ended up writing my first book, To Be Seen, um, when I was 17 and self-published it. Um, and it was sort of my own um, fictional retelling of what it feels like to be a, a lone high schooler um, dealing with sort of the the realities of the world and how to, how to overcome that. And that was a time when I really was paying attention to the sort of environment that I was around being in Chesterton. Um, I had a few friends and I I didn't have like that many friends. I wasn't really like a popular kid, but I was also someone who was really dedicated to, to love and had a loving family and environment. And so it was a time where going into my senior year of high school, um, we had the election um, and I never could have foresaw um, the way it would have turned out. And that, that, those two events, I'd say, were the largest events that impacted my development growing up, and how conscious I became of the reality that there's so many things that I thought we were past. And it's at the time it was 20 2016, and I'm like, wow, yeah, it's 2016, we're so far ahead. But I think that was a time where I realized that a lot of these things had gone underground, and it was sort of that's when I took on the mantle of becoming conscious of where I was and the world around me and bringing people together towards the truth of history and the truth of the environment we're in. So that's sort of um, my background on shaping.
0: Did you have folks that you met in Chesterton that you were able to have some of those conversations with while you were in high school?
1: I think it was, I was really appreciative of the international baccalaureate program that I went into junior and senior year um, because I was more comfortable familiar in smaller settings. I was, um, I met teachers um, and actually um, uh, Becky Euling, who organized the march um, where where we met, was my um, teacher for IB English. And so she was someone who really saw the, the potential in me as a writer and as a speaker. She was like, you definitely need to be in speech and debate. And I was like, ah, I don't really know about all that. But then uh, my brother, by the time I was a junior, came into his freshman year and joined speech and debate. And he's way more outgoing than I am and so he's definitely my rock and so when he came into the high school we sort of teamed up and I started doing speech and debate and getting more comfortable with being out spoken out as a queer person um and uh it was my speech coaches Kayla Fleming um and Eric Schaefer who really said you have to use your voice your voice matters and I'll always remember that like with speech we have like 10 minutes to perform our piece and I did poetry and um, Poi which is a sort of a play poetic sort of experience and they were like you have these 10 minutes where people in this room yes you're getting scored but they're here to listen to you and that really gave me showed me how important it is and how valuable it is to to use my voice and to share my voice so definitely the 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 teachers around me were a great support
0: do you did you happen to encounter a teacher by the name of Mitch Nelson
1: I, I did, we did cross paths. I did not have him as a, as a teacher, but we definitely crossed paths.
0: We grew up together. So he, wow. yeah, he's a, we graduated the same year at Chesterton in 02. And he's wow. a, he's a good friend of mine. He's now down in Bloomington, Indiana teaching. Wow. But he was one of the guys who got me turned on to politics while I was deployed overseas. Hmm. Uh, he was the one who was sending me materials and Turning me on to like different political stuff. And so, yeah, he had a a big role to play in my uh, development as well. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, for people who are listening to this, who do not know sort of the demographic makeup of a place like Chesterton, Mm -hmm. Chesterton is a very, very white place. Uh, Porter County is a very, very white place. Now that's changing. Um, Mm -hmm. But what, how, I mean, how how do you navigate and how did you navigate those challenges when you were going to school there? I mean, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of white people who understand what it's like to be, say, when I went to Chesterton, there was, mm-hmm. I think, two people out of a graduating class, two African-American students out of a graduating class of close to 500. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I think a lot of white people don't understand or haven't experienced that before. Uh, how yeah. much, I mean, did those experiences shape also that coming to political consciousness and what you were experiencing in 2016?
1: I think absolutely. I think it was, I didn't really have black friends until I took, I think uh, a cooking class in my, maybe my sophomore year. And I met like uh, one of the other black girls that was there and we like immediately bonded. I was like, wow, like I'm so glad to like have, have this environment with you because I really, I did, I didn't, I had mostly white friends and, um, I'd say that's not, that's not a bad thing, but it is to say that I didn't, it was, it was very hard to have the type of conversations about how racial problems outside of the classroom were affecting my home life and the way that I was coming into the classroom. And I think when the election happened, I remember like uh, that day um, going to school right after um, I wore my Malcolm X shirt and like just walked into class and just like sat to myself sat silently and sort of watched everyone around me be like, oh my gosh, like I can't, some people being like, I can't believe this happened. Some people, students choosing to come to school with a Confederate flag and like that really, whether, whether or not people talk about the, the racial divide that was there, that was really when I saw it manifest because it's a lot of times you see in those situations, the ways in which people's homes come to the school and you see which the mentalities and the ideologies that people are, are, are taught, um, show up in a space where it's, I felt silenced in a way that like, I was like, who can I have these conversations with? And luckily I had people, um, who, who knew that it would be a sensitive time for me and and were there to support me. Um, and I sort of, wanted to also be that support system for the black people that I did know in the school. Even if we weren't really like buddy buddies and hanging out all the time, it was sort of a, an unspoken like look we had in our eyes when we, we passed each other in the halls. Like we really got to look out for each other. And I think the only like black people I knew were maybe the ones that were on like the sports teams that were popular because they were on the sports teams. But it was that, I think that's a, that's a reality that there's, there's so much that happens, like we're in school for a couple hours a day, but after that we all go home to our own communities, and unfortunately I feel like there needs, there's not enough conversation about what happens behind the scenes, and yeah.
0: I agree with you. Um, So did you, you graduated CHS in in 16 then?
1: In uh, 17. In 17? So yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so the year after the election. What was that year like? just, and then we can get into sort of, you know, your experiences mm-hmm. going to school or going to university, yeah. but what was, mm-hmm. what were your experiences like in that year between the election and then your senior year graduating in 2017? I mean, were there more conversations in that year after the election about politics, race, things like this within the school or within your groups of friends?
1: Um, so the election being in November of 16 of, of my senior oh, year. that's right. That's yeah. Right. So it, it was like, sort of halfway, the halfway mark of my last year. And that was also, I knew I got into Stanford in December. So
0: okay. it
1: was sort of a, because I did an early admissions thing. So it was sort of a lot of different shifts happening at once because first dealing with the election and sort of people trying to have race conversations, some people, some professors trying to not to bring that into a classroom and just, and we just keep it peaceful. Um, and then getting into and then having decisions come out in December, um, all of this happening before winter break, um, it was, I know I know, coming back in 2017, um, for the last semester of school, I was, I was pretty much done. I had got all my requirements out the way. And so I was like, all right, we're just here. To I was really like looking at that last semester about appreciating the friendships that I had made with the people in my IB class. Um, and also at the same time, getting a different sort of attention as a Black student Getting into Stanford. um, And I wasn't, I know I was maybe 20th in my class. um, And so it was a weird dynamic because no one really knowing me, and then some people only knowing me because I got into Stanford. Um, And I think now I'm a lot more conscious of the ways, the rhetoric around being a, a, a minority getting into elite universities and the stereotypes that people may have about me. I don't think I faced those head on um, in my last semester. And I think that's really just because of the, the close community that I had surrounded myself with, because I wasn't having to change classes with different people. Like I was in the same class with the same people. And there were people that I had built trust with for the last two years. So thankfully, I don't think I, I had to face much much shift, but I think I, there was a lot of shift happening internally on my part.
0: And then, so you end up in Stanford. What is this fall of 2017 then?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you've been yeah. there for a few years now.
1: Yeah. I'm going into my senior year.
0: Talk, talk to us a little bit about what you're studying and what your experiences were moving. I mean, that's a big move to go from, yeah. you know, the Midwest to out West and then huge university. Yeah. And what, well, what's that been like?
1: So it's been it's been a time. So I went into uh, Stanford as a political science major, um, and always knew I wanted to do a creative writing minor because um, that's that's just what I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so coming in as a freshman was like first time being away from home, um, leaving my little brother who we re- have been joined at the hip since he came into this world, um, and and leaving my cat, like all things that I was very comfortable and familiar with, I was like, I have to start all over and, and sort of build myself. But I think even as a little kid, I was like, oh, I'm going to make it to California. Like I want to, I just, I want to be out. Um, One, just thinking about how progressive it was and how I really didn't even, I, I came out as queer in the end of my junior year in high school. And that was a side of me that I never tapped into until I got to California and saw how welcoming people were for and excited about diverse stories and experiences and I just I remember walking onto Stanford campus and move move-in day and this everyone being filled with the spirit of anything is possible like we've this is the thing that everyone up until this point has been sort of grooming you for like getting into a good college getting into a good college and it was kind of like wow like I did it what's next um and being there I think was really um, a sort of myth busters reality check because we have, or at least I had these ideas about what Stanford, one of the highest universities in the country would be like and feel like and getting there and realizing they have the same problems as anywhere else as far as um, racial equity and and diversity and sort of injustice. And so I took political science wanting to always having justice at the forefront of my mind. And so I'm in my fall quarter, I was taking a different host of the sort of introductory political science classes. And by, so Stanford runs on a three quarter system, fall, winter, and spring. And so by spring quarter and having taken two quarters in the political science department and One not being taught by a professor of color at at, in any of my classes, and then on top of that, not even having race being a topic of discussion about in classes about politics, I was completely like, "There's my spirit really felt like something was missing," and I was like, "Is this really what I want to do?" And not only that, but most of the being sometimes again the only black person in a space, I was like, "I thought I was." going someplace where there would be more opportunity and more people that looked like me. And that was really my freshman year, um, going out of it, where I realized that maybe I'm a little bit more, my interests are a little bit more um, directed. And I, I like to think about like the heart of the matter and making sure that everyone's in a room. And so being in those spaces and realizing something was missing, I decided to take a class under um, African and African American studies. And that first class that I took, um, I believe was led by a program called Institute for Diversity in the Arts. And not only having a dis- uh, interdisciplinary approach to, to understanding and um, education, but also having the sort of care and healing that comes with these classes. At the beginning of each class, we take, um, the instructor leads us all in a collective breath. We take three minutes and we just breathed together. And that was the first time that we brought our consciousness into the room, our, our dedication to being in community into a space. And I immediately felt the type of learning that I had been, been looking for. And so now my major is African and African-American studies. Um, it'll be an honors because I'm doing an honors thesis this upcoming year um, with um, a double minor. I'm doing political science minor and creative writing minor.
0: Right on. Right on. What have, what has been, in terms of student activism, what has that looked mm-hmm. like over the last few years? I mean, just on the campus mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be things that you've been involved with, though I'm interested to hear that as well. Yeah. What what kind of things have been happening on the campus out there over the last few years?
1: So Stanford campus um, is, fortunately, I've got to meet a lot of great activists through my time there. Um, i I was a part of a a group for a little bit of time um, that goes by the acronym of SLAP, which stands for Students for the Liberation of All People. And they sort of have a historic trend of being one of the leading forefronts of of activism in a sense of like, I think one thing I remember in my freshman year, maybe there's Stanford has a a Hoosier Tower, not Hoosier Tower, sorry, Hoover Tower, um, which is sort of the pillar of the middle of the university. And um, some students went and did a banner drop um, about uh, sort of calling for the, the equal rights, equal pay for, for the workers, because Stanford um, has a problem with paying workers their adequate wa- wage um, and also investments in ICE and just a lot of different things that isn't obviously going to be branded as this is Stanford, but things that are happening behind the scenes that students are impacted by and that students know people impacted by. and so. They're definitely the ones that lead the charge for demanding justice and did something similar to um, about 40 years ago, there was um, a sort of take taking the mic um, by the black students at Stanford, where they t- actually took the mic from the president at one of the addresses and demanded that there be a black studies department, that there be more black faculty. Um, and that's how my program came to be. It didn't exist before this. Um, and so activism has not only shaped my major, but the literal trajectory. Trajectory of justice at Stanford, um, and I'm very grateful for the history of activism and and the activists I continue to work with. And in these recent years, um, there has been a lot of controversy about sort of controversial speakers on campus. And I've been in, involved in some direct actions where the Stanford College Republicans would bring someone who is very divisive and and controvers- um, controversial, and leading um, and participating in actions against um, some of these speakers, whether that's counter-protest and where we would stage outside the protest or just um, protest leading up to the event or asking the university to sort of step in in these measures. But it's really been on on the, the backs of the students to do a lot of this work.
0: You mentioned both ICE contracts. You mentioned workers at the university being underpaid. How much of that political consciousness of like connecting the issues of class, race, gender? um, Obviously, we face a whole series of issues right now. I mean, are these things that you've picked up along the way, both through activism, but also through your studies and then conversations you're having with friends and family?
1: Yeah, this is definitely something that I picked up a lot through conversations and and with the with the people I meet and the people who've been been doing this work. Um, because a lot of this stuff, I like I, I didn't don't know. and think I think now being into going into my last year, this is definitely knowledge that I've accumulated. like going into my freshman year, I had no idea about any of this stuff. and it right. wasn't until seeing having friends who were going, for example, through mental health crisis and then learning about what that process actually entails and the ways in which there's unnecessary involvement with with police and the handling of mental health and the access we have to mental health resources. And it was just like the more that i met people who, who had needs and, and real needs that disability needs and, and financial support needs that, and, and talking with them about, okay, well, like how does the university help you in these ways and facing the harsh reality that again, it's a lot of the times it's students lifting up students. And so I, I say a lot when people ask me about how Stanford is, i they have as many problems as any other elite university Um, being with having a large percentage of the student population being in the 1% um, and just the class discrimination that, that is present there. But I think something that I would never trade and never switch to university for is the students because the people that I've met there are from all over the world and have truly the kindest hearts I have ever encountered. And they have been the reason that I am proud to go to Stanford. That I'm proud to, to be doing the work because no, the reality is, and and the reason I I call out Stanford. My mom will always say, "Well, like, why, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Like, watch what you say." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I hear that, but and my reaction is that, I it's you can be grateful and also hold, people and institutions accountable, and and that's what's so important. It's important to, think about. The blessings that you have but also the ways in which other people are denied those blessings and so i will continue to call out stanford because they can do better and i hope that i can be a part of the way and the process of that change
0: you're definitely doing that what 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 do you make of going back in the fall? are you guys scheduled to go back in the fall
1: so stanford is doing a half undergraduate capacity so Okay. I'm, thankfully, I, I'm a residential um, staff member, so I will be back for the duration of the year. But for the first quarter, it's only freshmen and sophomores and then juniors and seniors for the last two quarters.
0: Okay. And what what have your friends been? I'm sure you've made tons of friends while you've been at the university or at least have come mm-hmm. in con- contact with a bunch of folks. What is mm-hmm. the sense from people you know about going back? Are people nervous? I know probably to some extent you're excited just to go see people that you mm-hmm. haven't seen in, you know, however many yeah. months. but yeah, what's the sense you're getting from students about going back?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a lot of mixed feelings. Um, it's it's disappointment that we're not all all going to be on campus at the same time. Like the I know a lot of um, I have a lot of friends who are sophomores who won't get to interact with any of the juniors and seniors outside of the people who are on staff. Um, and I have friends who are taking gap years because. The, the social life in the community, as I just said, like the biggest plus about the university is the community. And so to be restricted in the amount of events we can have, the, the, the size of groups we can have, I'm not sure how they're handling social distancing. If that will mandate that no one have anyone in, in anyone's rooms, um, then that makes it extremely difficult as a staff member who is hired to create community to be enforcing rules that keep us apart. And so it's really required um, imagination on the part of the staff and my other co-staff that were trying to think about how how do we bring people together apart. Um, and I'm personally glad, that, and glad and blessed that I can be back for the whole year and, and support people and, and be a, a pillar for people to lean on. Um, but I'm also extremely disappointed as A performer to have all of those experiences transition to a virtual platform and someone who really feeds off of of energy and being sort of in a in a space and breathing together like I mentioned earlier that's something that I'm like man can we do social distance like yoga like is that possible yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, because it's it's so it's so important and I yeah I'm very concerned but trying to, trying to rely on that right brain, imagination to, to get me through it.
0: No, it breaks my heart to meet someone like yourself, who's a performer and an activist who also graduated from the same Mm -hmm. damn high school. And we run a community cultural center that we can't even invite you to, to perform. It drives me nuts. Believe me, it's been breaking our heart as well. And as you know, it's essential to building community and building the kind of bonds and trust that you need to engage in political activities. You know, it's Absolutely. like you, you got to have them relationships. What um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you a little bit about. Let me let me wrap this part up by asking you. Uh, it's probably sort of going out of order, but I'm interested mm-hmm. in your engagement culturally. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're weaving together a whole bunch of stuff from politics to activism to culture, performance art. But all of those things are connected in some way as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about the importance of the cultural work you do and how you got into that? I didn't even really ask if this was something you did at a young age or if it's something you picked up along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's definitely not something I I foresaw myself doing to to any capacity. Um, And growing up, and and it's weird to think about being an an African-American studies major um, and going to a predominantly white high school, um, it's sort of like I when I when I saw that we were like sort of going to be talking about this I'm like man wh- wh- when did it start? When did I start thinking about these things and I think what's what I found in the beauty of cultural work and, and ethnic studies is that there is such a breadth of history that exists alongside the, the narrative that, that we're fed and I'm someone who is always questioning things. Like, I'm that kid who is always asking why. Like, why are we doing this? Why does the sky look blue? Like, it's not like (laughs) everything is about perception. And and the more that I realized, oh, like, reality is just energy. And so it's really just how you perceive and, and the mentality that you project. And so what does it mean to exist in a pretty segregated society still in the sense that we are about as equally segregated as we were during Brown versus Board of Education when you think about housing segregation and the ways in which communities are separated from each other. So to a large extent, if you live in a predominantly, go to a white high school, stay in that same town, you're only being fed the same narrative that has been regurgitated for for decades, for centuries. And I find cultural studies, not just of black culture, but of indigenous cultures, of of, um, African cultures, uh, Indian cultures, so many different perspectives that are so crucial to building a fuller understanding of myself as a human being. Regardless of where where I come from, I exist in this planet with, with nature, with animals, with so many other f- pieces of this reality that breathe that literally go through the inhale and exhale process. And the more that I realize how connected we all are, the more I realize that it's not just cultural studies being something that's that's a niche or fetishized, but something that's critical to unlearning the things that I've been fed about myself, the things I've been fed about the way the world is Um, I'm virtual. So there's, those are air quotes because (laughs) nothing is what it seems. It's some, it's something that has been perceived and, and been fed to us. And it's up to us, to change our perspective, to grow and expand our perspective. And so that's really the beauty I find in cultural studies is I'm always learning how much I don't know <laughs> because Same there's here. so much. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's so beautiful. And that's and African and African-American studies has really shown me that there is narratives. Black people have been here since and with indigenous people. And these are histories that have never stopped. So they've just been push to the margins. And so what does it mean to bring those to the spotlight and put everything in a room together?
0: Is that what it looks like translating this to some of your personal work? Is that what you try Mm -hmm. and do with both your, I know you write creative writing, but I know you also perform. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of some of what you're trying to manifest as you do those, as the, those actions and those performances?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in my writing, it definitely manifest as sort of how do I how do I bring conversations and perspectives perspectives into a narrative, into a story, into a play that will get you to to look at yourself. And so, I put on um, my first ever one man play, sort of um, multimedia performance this past winter that was called Transform, um, and it was completely incredible. I had a great time. Um, I produced the music for it. And in my music, I tried to bring in aspects of sound healing. What is it? How can I work on an energetic level to sort of stir up something that can get you to bring that subconscious to the forefront and, and face ourselves? And so in my performance, it was um, a, a poetic play in the sense that I performed and spoke complete poetry um throughout the entire performance so that brought that element in but I also put the audience in the center of the room because I am a big believer in tearing down the sort of barrier that exists between performer and uh an audience because in my in the settings again it's I, I'm a person who doesn't like being like perceived, which is ironic being a performer, but it's because I feel like we're all performing to some extent. We wake up and we put on this I, identity and we have this understanding of ourselves. And so how do I, I in the performance, I, I had one of my, my friends walk around with a mirror and and literally ask the crowd, who do you see? As I'm performing a poem about perception and and why... How did I get to this this planet in this world? It was a it was a more a dramatic piece about just meditating on on self actualization and, and identity formation um, because I'm going through an existential crisis like every two weeks. Right. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so it was uh, definitely something that I'm like, how can I take all of these thoughts that are happening in my head and have a conversation with somebody about this? Get them to ask these questions. Like I love having um i call them esoteric conversations because my label is esoteric creations um and i'm like how do i how do we how do we have these conversations how do i put this into my lyrics so that people are singing about finding themselves rather than material possessions and those things so it's definitely something i always make sure to have at the forefront of my consciousness in any of my in any of my work
0: I hate to ask this question because it sounds so um, official and terrible and the kind of things that I (laughs) hated when people asked me when I was in my uh, 20s. But what what do you think? And under these circumstances, it might even be more absurd to ask this question. What are you hoping to do post university? I I partially asked that question because I want us to steal you right back to Northwest Indiana, but I know that you probably have a whole world (laughs) that you would like to see. Um, but I, I am interested in, in what you're, what you're thinking for the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As much as you
0: can right now. I, yes.
1: Yes. Um, so I, there's so much that I want to do. Um, I'm a Sagittarius, so I'm an adventurer by heart and, and do plan on traveling the world, but I'm planning to apply for, um, a master's program, um, co-term, co-terming at Stanford for a master's degree in modern thought and literature, which is an interdisciplinary course that deals with psychology, history, performance, like every, every, all of these different things. It's like, you can't do all of that. This major uh, master's program makes room for it. So I'm really excited to apply for that this, um, this winter quarter. Um, and and go to grad school and and get my, my, eventually get my doctorate, because ideally, I, with my company, I want to create the sort of community, community center in a similar, uh, thankful for, like, the work y'all are doing, um, in a way that I can build my own classroom where I can teach these ideals, but also build the sort of build a sort of community similar to I have I've been bringing black wall street um to a lot of my conversations because it is possible it, it was possible and it is possible again for those who don't know black wall street was a community in tulsa oklahoma that was the first ever black millionaires and self is like owned our own businesses owned our own block run completely um and started by um black americans for themselves and so i And other people, my family and the people in my business, run a label that's dedicated to our our mission is, um, as a collective, we will embody light to help eradicate darkness and fear and illuminate a world of peace, unity, harmony, and love. We intend to do this for the greater expansion of divine consciousness to empower folks and permeate the masses with truth. So that statement being rooted with art and rooted within community and restorative justice has a vision for the future that involves community gardens where we can live and sustain off ourselves relying less on on meat production um live in a community that supports artists to the extent where we're not where black artists who really are the backbones right now of popular culture aren't signing their their lives away to monopolized labels that are taking all of their money and they're not seeing any any product from it Um, that's a story as old as as the industry itself and so what does it look like to create, to actually create an equitable society um, where people have the education that's going to be fruitful for them, which is why I'm so pleased and, and excited about going to get a doctorate so I can create that sort of classroom. I have friends who started their own um, schools with like student-led schools. Um, and so the more that I just meet people and tell people my vision, the more I realize that this is a reality that a lot of other people are looking for. They're looking for communities and community gardens where we can sort of, yeah, do it ourselves and, and start over.
0: No, that sounds that sounds great. Let, let's end by talking a little bit about this current moment. I obviously met you at a Juneteenth slash Black Lives Matter Solidarity Rally in Chesterton. Mm-hmm. You gave by far the best speech of the day, in my opinion, kind of left everybody fired up. What your speech reminded me of, to be honest with you, is something that we've been telling people for a long time while doing community organizing work. And that is if you're on the if you're in the street and you talk with people in poor and working class neighborhoods, what you'll find mm-hmm. is that a lot of people are actually way ahead of the curve. That a lot of people, that that a lot of times speakers, artists, activists sort of downplay or underestimate where people's politics are at. So for instance, mm-hmm. if you were to ask someone before that rally in Chesterton what do you think, how do you think people would respond if somebody came up here and started giving a revolutionary message? People would be like, I don't know, it's downtown Chesterton. I'm not sure if people would be like down to hear a revolutionary message. Like you were reminding me that day of like an Angela Davis speech. You know what I mean? It was like you were channeling Angela Davis. You were channeling a whole bunch of people that day. And I was sitting there watching you on the gazebo say this, and I'm looking out at the sea of people, the majority of whom white, because they're representative the demographics of Chesterton Mm -hmm. but they're clapping and cheering and like fired up and like there's more and more people hearing these radical messages that in the past people might say oh you know I don't know Mm -hmm. how people are going to respond but it turns out that people really are you know hearing this message on a very deep level and that message is resonating with people on a deep level what do you think for moving forward Um, activism, the future of the uh, movement for black lives, what that looks like, trying to connect to other movements. We've got, you know, movements Mm -hmm. against xenophobia, the caging of, of, you know, Latino and Hispanic uh, children on the border. We're still bombing and occupying countries, largely occupied by uh, Arab and Muslim populations. I mean, there's all kinds of these things going on. You're aware of these things what is your sort of message moving forward to folks or even any, any kind of like parting thoughts, advice, wisdom, reflections that you may have uh, that you can impart on the rest of us, I think, as we move forward?
1: Absolutely. So I will end in a way that I start my mornings and my meditations on love. It absolutely takes love. And when I say love, I'm talking, I, I wrote a whole entire essay on it, um, Baldwinian love. Um, Baldwin says James Baldwin says love takes off the mask we fear we can't live without but no we cannot live within and when I heard that quote it really showed me that all of these there's there's so many as, as you listed out so many different problems and 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 injustices that are happening around the world and I think we're at a beautiful time where people are ready for change I think we're waking up and realizing that this is not sustainable. And we're in a very critical point in our human evolution where if we don't make sustainable changes, we're going to have water water crisis, land crisis, housing crisis, like there's so many issues that I think our generation especially is primed and ready to, to face and to tackle and to take off those masks. And that's really what the quote is about, is about realizing the world around us. And we're, for the first time after these George Floyd protests, I've been seeing so many people talking about prison abolition. And that's something that when I was younger, I was like, there's there's no way people are going to hop on that wave. There's no way. Um, and we're seeing it. And, and it's, that's so beautiful to me because the world that I believe we can move towards is a world where we face the hard and the dark parts of ourselves, of the people we love. And we look at those parts and we have those honest, introspective conversations with ourselves about the ways we've participated in harm, recognizing where our privileges lie. I said it at the march, I go to Stanford, that is a privilege. So how can I take these privileges that I have and do something to give it to somebody who does not have this privilege? And so I encourage everybody to think about where you stand in the movement and then think about where your front line is. Where can you put yourself to be a catalyst for change and to spread love and love is not I, I had I've been having a recent conversation about the ways in which love is a very hard thing it's not all butterflies and rainbows like like I don't see color love is love like I love you for you no love love is being is the hard stuff it's the, those hard family conversations and and being honest and and rough about where you failed because we all fail, and I think something that's important is that failure is not the end. We have to fail in order to build strength. Literally, this is a bodybuilder tip. If you wanna build muscle, you have to break your muscles. We have to break down everything we thought we knew and our assumptions and build something better, get stronger as, a, as physically, spiritually, men, mentally, and from there, I truly do believe once we break ourselves down, and know that we have the strength of love behind us, we can get through anything. And I truly believe that. And, it's, and it starts with these conversations, whether it's uh, virtual or it's in your homes or it's by yourself in, in the park, looking at the clouds. Um, anybody can do this work.
0: Powerful and wise words, my friend. How can people connect to your work? is there a website people can go to? Are you on social? Um, I know you're on social media, but if you can just give Mm -hmm. sort of your handles and your website so people can check out your work and support you.
1: Absolutely. So on Instagram and Venmo, uh, my business is E S O underscore collective C O L L E C T I V E. And we do have a website that is S O com. So it's all, all of those same phrasings. Um, I have uh, I manage my brother he has his album coming out August 1st Um, right. and those yeah congratulations
0: to you congratulations to him
1: thank you thank you so all of that information any new information can be found on our Instagram and on our on our website Um, so if anybody is ever looking for my poetry um, my music um, all of it will be on SO underscore collective on Instagram
0: right on Angel, thank you so much for your time.
1: This was a powerful
0: interview and I I can't tell you how much (laughs) I appreciate it. And when I started telling some of my friends, now I know I'm getting too damn old because my (laughs) friends are now teaching at the high school. And so when I started telling people, I was like, hey, have you ever heard of this? Every single person was like, Angel? They were like, she's (laughs) amazing. They're like, she's something else. They're like, no, we're not surprised at all. Like she's going to go do big things. So everybody thinks highly of you. I also know that a lot of pressure comes with that you seem to be keeping your head so level and, and you're just a powerful voice. So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's truly truly a blessing to just talk and, and share my thoughts because I'm still learning. I'm by no means the, the know-all be-all about these things. I'm just trying to learn and grow. Um, and so I also want to say Esoteric Creations is the name of the label and we're on all streaming platforms. Um, so just looking up Esoteric Creations. Um we have lo-fi playlists specifically for healing and soothing music in these difficult times. If you're just trying to decompress, you can get honey and space out everywhere.
0: Right on. Right on. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Thank you. All right. Say take bless. care, Angel. All right, bye.
0: You've been watching Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we'll see you soon. Hey, thank you for watching and listening. If you think this program is worth a pack of cigarettes or a cheeseburger, you could become a Patreon for as little as $3 a month. The link is available at our website, parkmedia.org. That's P A R C Media.org. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel below. Also, you could find us on Instagram at Park Media, Facebook at Politics Art Roots Culture, and you could find me on Twitter at Vince Emanuele.